I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Many people are away, as we can see. Holiday time is upon us. This week, I want to congratulate everyone who's had a birthday. Anyone who's going to have a birthday in this month. Anyone who's just had an anniversary. I've just had my anniversary. 32 years. Don't try and get hold of me today. I won't be available this afternoon. I'm going out. Okay? And I don't know when I'll be back. So... There are many people away, anniversaries and stuff like that. And we congratulate you all. If you're not here, we've still sent the congratulations. It's in the airways. If it was your birthday, congratulations. You made it another year. Amen? And the very fact that you're still alive is proof that God needs you around. So, remember last week I was talking to you about trying to find and discover your voice. And uh, this is something I really feel that the Holy Spirit has been impressing upon me. I I talked about this when I was in EYC. So anything I'm giving you, I gave to them. And anything I gave to them, I'm giving to you. Why? Because the water level is the water level. You don't change the water level for young people. You You keep the water level. It is, you know, they don't reduce water in your tap for young people, do they? So we're not going to do it in this tap. And we really felt that, oh, so we are feeling, we're trying to communicate that in order to find your voice, there is the voice, there is the messenger, and there is the message. Three things must come together. The voice must become a message so that the voice and message can become the messenger. Does that make sense? Every one of us has got a voice. You know how I know you've got a voice? Listen to yourself complain. That's, a, that's an indication that we've all got a voice. God's given us all a voice. Physically and spiritually, God has given us each a voice. Now, what we've got to try and help people to discover is the voice and the message. In the messenger, the next step is there must be a field. A field is symbolic of where you live, where you work, where you do life. Everyone's been given a field in life. The Bible's very clear. It talks about we've been given a field, whether your expertise, your gift, your vocation in life, that's a field. So if you're in the arts, that's your field. If you're in architecture, that's your field. If you're in the building work, construction work, that's your field. If you're in law and order, you get the picture. So the voice and the message and the messenger must turn up in their field. At some point, God is going to give you opportunities to speak in your field. But the problem is, like I said last week, is one of the, the, the things that we're noticing more and more in the church is that there is this lack of conscience regarding the lost. People, have, the church has stopped carrying a conscience about the lost. We, I think Paul used the word this morning, I thought it's a great word to use, we've We've used church and we've made church respite. A place where we go and get refreshed. We go and get refilled. Where we enjoy, it's become a social connection, a social hub for us connecting with people we like and doing life with. But we've lost the conscience of why we're here. So if we've lost the conscience of why we're here, we're going nowhere. All we're doing is meeting. The church has no 
power, has no purpose, and has no focus because she's not conscious, she's not conscious, I should say, about the lost. Now, one of the greatest things that Jesus taught in, in Matthew 28 is he gave the church the Great Commission, go into the world. That's the field. Now, within that great geographical field, he's given you gifts and talents so that you then, with your voice and your message, can then turn up and find your field so that you can fulfill the great commission of going into all the world, preaching the gospel, teaching people to obey. Do you understand that? God's graciously done that. So in Jonah chapter 1, before you read it, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to insert your name where you see the word Jonah. Okay? And when he says that when you read the word Nineveh, I want you to shout out the word Manchester. Okay? Can you do that? So where you see the word Jonah, put your name in there. And where you see the word Nineveh, I want you to shout out Manchester. And I want us to read this together because I want you to hear it as it is written. Okay? So after three, Jonah chapter one, verse one. One, two, three. The word of the Lord came to Tony Higginson, son of a Metai. Go to the great city of Manchester and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But I, Tony Higginson, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. How does it sound when your name and your city is in there? Yeah? So, the word of the Lord came to Tony. Great stuff. Son of Stanley, that's my dad, go to the great city of Manchester. Why is it great? Because God has called us great. He's put us in there. Yeah? In the beginning, God created Manchester. Okay? So remember that. So Manchester, he said, go to the great city of Manchester and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But I, Tony Higginson, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. You can't get any clearer than that. He ran away. What did Jonah do? And headed where? So where's Tarshish? Anywhere but not Nineveh. It's totally the opposite from Tarshish. So God says to you, go to Manchester. But you're, So what do you do? You get on a boat. This is the stupidity of trying to run away from God's command. He gets on a boat. And, and on the boat, he goes to Tarshish, and what happens? In the middle of the night, a storm rises up. Now, each one on that boat all cried out to their God. So the, let's just say there's a disaster coming to Manchester. How many people would cry out to different gods? The thought came to me this morning as I was meditating on the Lord, that this morning I could hear the sound of church bells. Somewhere in our city, you'll hear the, church, the sound of a mosque. Somewhere in our city, you'll hear a choir. And as I could hear the church bells, I could hear Tom playing the bass. And I could hear the guitars going. So I had this concophony of sound in my head going on. And each one was a call or a, um, an expression to some God. Yes? So... If you think of the church bells, it's, it's nice when you listen to the church bells. But you know what the church bells were originally there for? 
to warn away spirits. When you do research into church bells, it was all about, they thought that if you could, the louder you went, I think this is where some of the African churches get the idea from, the louder you go, you warn spirits away. <laughs> that's why many African churches are loud. I'm not saying that's the I'm just being funny. Call it funny to me anyway. But church bells were a way of warning evil spirits away. That was their revelation. But guess what? You and I both realize sound does not push spirits away. Yeah? So in our city, there's a, there's a concophony of sound. People are making all different types of noise, but, oh, in the name of Jesus, stand still. That's that storm. It's coming in, you see. Cry out to the living God. And so Jonah decides he's going to get some sleep. In the middle of a storm, how do you sleep in the middle of a storm? But Jonah found a way. Jonah falls asleep, and all of them were crying out to their God, and they realized because God let them know, told them, that the problem is downstairs. The problem is asleep downstairs. Why? Because even God goes against you when you ignore him. And he tells everybody, this, I've asked this guy to do something for me. I've asked him to go to Nineveh, but he's run away, and he's running away, and he's putting your life in danger because he's ignoring my command over his life. Wow. So what do they do? They draw lots, and Jonah loses. <laughs> so then they decide to throw him overboard. And as they throw him overboard, they're praying, oh, God, forgive us for killing him. And, in, you know, uh, this, uh, killing a man like this. But, but that was the only thing they could do. They throw him overboard, and you know the story. God arranges transportation, call a fish. A fish swallows Jonah, and for three days, he's in the, in the belly of the fish, and then he cries out to God, and God says, okay, pats the, the, uh, the fish on the back. The fish pukes up, throws Jonah, catapults him. Guess which way? Nineveh. Can you imagine? God turned that fish around and said, okay, and God pats the fish on the back. Supernaturally speaking, that fish vomits, and out the belly of the fish, Jonah finds himself in Nineveh. God will go to amazing lengths to get you where you're supposed to be going. God will do that. God, a storm is not a problem for God, but it's a big issue to you and I. So, what we've got to understand here is that the city needed a voice. And when it came for God's man, God's instrument, the voice and the message to become the messenger and to step into that field, what did Jonah do? Jonah ran, just like you and I do. Where do we run? We run in church. We think because outside we're so busy, there's no time. No, there's no time because there's no conscience. And when there's no conscience, you don't look for opportunities. Come on. When there's no time, there's no conscience. When there's no conscience, you don't look for opportunities. And God is trying to put a conscience back onto this house because there's our city, there's great wickedness in our city. There's great wickedness. And this is why I feel so strong about protecting our young people in college and university because wickedness is intelligent. It plots and it schemes. And because it plots and schemes, it has intelligence, it has education, and it has power, and it has prominence, and it has position. All the Ps. And then what happens is, 
That wickedness begins to teach and infiltrate a generation. That generation's our generation. So when they come out, they come out with the philosophy of the world. They don't just get trained, they come out with philosophies. And then that begins to shape people's lives and take them in different directions. The city is wicked. That doesn't mean to say God doesn't love the people in it. He does. That's why he sent a voice to preach against it. And what did they do? The people in the powers, the king heard what was happening. And the king decreed that everyone should have sackcloth. Even every animal should put sackcloth on. There wasn't anything living, any animal or any human being that did not go into mourning so that they could reverse this word that Jonah was going to carry. So can you imagine if you find your voice, can you imagine just for one minute being in your field and you carrying a voice for your company? Your company may be going through all kinds of difficulties financially and they're about to lay people off. But your voice could become the wisdom that gets your CEO's attention. Come on, think strategically. And your voice alone could be the voice that goes to your CEO and turns the whole company around and causes the company to go the way that it should go. Your voice. Because people start hearing your voice on the shop floor or whatever in your office or whatever it is, people begin to hear. And then all of a sudden, listen, they might always give you the credit for it. But they'll hear your voice, and your voice can become the key voice in that company to turn people around towards the way that God's telling them to go. Come on. Don't just go to work to pick a wage. Go to work to influence. Go to work to influence, to speak out when your opportunity comes. You may only get, ever get one opportunity, but when that moment comes, speak. You may have to work there for 20 years to earn the right for one conversation. Yes? But in that 20 years, God's watching. You're available. Your conscience. Your conscience is seared. Your conscience is pricked. Your conscience is made alive. You're ready. God, if it's today, I'm ready. If it's tomorrow, I'm ready. And when that day comes, boom. You sit there, and it goes all the way to the king. From Nineveh, from Jonah getting up, being thrown on that beach, the king found out. How does a king find out? How does a king find out? God knows. And it was the king who has the power to bring everybody into repentance. The king. So your word... When Daniel found himself in the palace, God, they heard that this man can interpret dreams. They heard. Who heard? There was whispers. But if he hadn't kept on saying what he was saying to those he was saying, it, his voice could never have traveled through the corridors all the way to the king. Keep being a voice and your voice will get to the powers. Yeah? So the word of the Lord came to, put your name in again. Come on, put your name in it again. Son of... Who's your father? If you don't know your father, ask your mother. Go to the great city of Manchester and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But I, Tony, have ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. In other words, I don't want the assignment. I don't want to obey. I don't want to do it. This will make me unpopular. This might cause me to lose some friends. Look on the other side. This might make you some. 
this might make you popular. Who knows? The issue is not whether you be popular or not. The issue is will you be obedient? Nineveh needs your voice, needed Jonah's voice. Manchester needs yours. Your home needs yours. Your street needs yours. Your neighbor, your neighborhood needs yours. Your workplace needs yours. Your school, your college, your primary school, your factory, whatever it is, it needs your voice. That's Manchester. Yes? Now, when you read that scripture, it sounds pretty grim, doesn't it? That it's possible that, that God can speak and man can run away. It's pretty frightening, actually, to think that God's been speaking to us for how many years have we been on this earth and how much have we not done what God has told us to do? Come on, be honest with yourself. No good being a liar. You might as well be honest. At least you can get forgiveness when you're honest. So Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There is one nation that God has said, No, leave them. All nations. Doing what? Then there's an action. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything. Now, if you're going to teach people to obey, you've got to have a voice. You can't teach people to, to obey if you have no voice. Don't just bring people to church. Bring people to church, absolutely. But don't expect the church to fill in the gaps that your voice should be filling in. Yes? Come on. Don't expect me to be the only evangelist in here. Because I'm not an evangelist. If you bring someone, talk to them. Talk to them about a Christ life. Talk to them. Be the model to them. Let them see that your life is worth obtaining. They want something. They don't just, want, don't just expect the church to wave its magic wand and everything's going to be all right. You are the witness. I am the witness. So then in Matthew 10, back up, Matthew 10 verse 18, on account, he says, you'll be brought before governors and kings as a witness to them to, and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, there's comforting news. When they arrest you, do not worry what to say or how to say it. At the time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So what we're saying here is that Matthew 28, of going, taking the gospel into all the world, it's often met with resistance. Yes? Come on met with resistance but it's also met with great joy so many people are waiting for our message other people will resist and fight you but say for instance we're living in a society now where have you noticed this whole conversation about same-sex marriage whether it's in America whether it's in Britain whether it's in Australia Canada what you're finding is this is that this conversation from the same-sex lobbyist is met with no tolerance and aggression. You can't have your opinion. You've got to support their opinion. And if anybody stands out, all of a sudden, society wants to get you out of a job, get you out of power, get you out of position. Why? All because you can't have your opinion. They don't like the alternative. So they're trying to bring this aggressive attitude and then say that you Christians are bigots. 
you Christians, da-da-da, 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 da-da-da. Do you know the night they made same-sex in America right across, you know, all the, the Methodists, sorry, the United Reformists in America, they said, great, all our priests can marry their boyfriends now. Overnight, they made that rule. So when certain parts of the church see other so-called parts of the church falling for this, it makes your voice harder and harder and harder. But we must stand. Our city, our nation needs our voice greater than it's ever done. We must be able to stand and have our voice. But because we're frightened of, well, I can't say somebody in my work that I don't believe it because now I'm classed as homophobic. I'm not scared of my home. <laughs> say you're homophobic. So everyone quietens down because they don't want to lose the job because it's not political correct. So if someone says to you, what's your opinion? Say, I'll tell you, providing you can be as tolerant and accept that not everyone agrees what you believe. And let's just do a practical head count here. Let's just say the nation tonight decides that we're all going gay. Where does the population go? It's over. It declines from that very moment. Come on, be practical about it. And what people are saying is choice is more important than principles. My free will and my right to exercise my free will is far more important than rules and principles. Yes? And this is what was always prophesied in the last days. This attitude, this spirit that's rising. So when Jesus turns around and says, look, if the kingdom of God from the days of John the Baptist has always been advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Why do forceful men need to lay hold of it? Because there's a force opposite. Trying to silence our voice. And fear now comes into the heart of the church so we all work in the system. We all work in that field where there's political correctness and you're not allowed to say certain things. So we're all shut down. But the moment you say something... They come and bind your hands and they take you before the legislators, right? And at that point, Jesus says, don't worry what to say. Don't worry what to say. Why? Because when I speak, when you speak, you should say, he says the same to you as what he said to Moses. Think of this. When Moses went, he says, Pharaoh will hear God coming out of your mouth. So he says to them, don't worry, don't panic what to say, because when you speak, it will be me they hear, not you. So we've got to be strong enough to keep this voice strong within us, so that his voice can be strong flowing out of us. Because never, listen, it's a tragedy to keep your mouth shut, because when you send your kids to school, that's them in the system. And the moment they get into the school, they're going to be in classrooms where all this is going to be propagated. Come on. And then it goes through the system, and then it becomes the social norm. That's how they do. And now they want to create Manchester as the first homosexual school in Manchester. They want to pilot this, and they're putting resources so they can build the first homosexual gay school for those people. 
right, for that behavior. Now, our hearts are to show them God loves them. We, we accept them. We just don't accept the behavior. It doesn't make no sense. From the beginning of, from the beginning of time, man and woman, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve, come on. Right? This is, you know, this couple's about to produce a child. As God intended it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But if everyone just joined opposite sex, oh, sorry, sorry, same sex, the world as we know it, its population would die. It doesn't make sense. But my free will overrides common sense. No, it doesn't. So, we have to be very, very aware of our city needs our voice more than ever. Can we see this? Can we see this? Seriously. Now, when I bring same-sex conversation to you, you'll say, yes, yes, yes. But Jesus told us the Great Commission 2,000 years ago. Do we now have to wait till we see our city in utter ruin before the Great Commission makes sense. But that's what's happening. Why? It's because we are not, we do not have a conscience towards the lost. The church is the reason why a nation prospers or declines. It is. Now, we didn't turn around and say a charismatic church. We didn't say a prophetic church or an apostolic church. We said the church. An expression of God on the earth. God's got eternity. God's allowed different expressions and still move with them and work with them. So we can't say it's only one size. There is a pure spotless church that God is looking for. But on route to that, God's working in all churches. Amen? So there's not only the apostolic or the prophetic, but God's moving wherever people's hearts will be moved. Amen? So go to Nineveh, he says, no chance. I ain't going. Can you imagine that? See, what he forgot, Jonah never read Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He didn't understand Psalm 139. Had he understood Psalm 139, he would never have, ran on a, never have tried to run on a boat. Had you understand Psalm 139, had you understand the sovereignty of God and his divine attributes as we've been covering in Authentic, you would understand there's a word that we learn called the immutable, come on, finish it off, characters of God. Means he's unswerving, he's unchanging. He is what he is, he does what he says he, he, he can do, and he will do what he said he will do. He's immutable, he will not change for you. He will not change his ways. I, the Lord, do not change. Why? Because he's, he's starting off from a place of perfection. You don't have to change if you're perfect. 
So one of the questions was, in our authentic groups this week was, do you feel it's fair that God asked you to change and him not have to? We had a good conversation about that. Absolutely. Why? Because everyone's coming to my standard. I'm not coming to their standards. Everything in this world, I am the water level, says God. Everything's coming up to me. Yes? So, William Booth. Many of you know William Booth. The founder of the Salvation Army. This is what William said. And you've heard this before. The chief danger of the 20th century. Now, we're in the 21st, in case you didn't know. The 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Now, just start there a minute. Religion without the Holy Ghost. How can you have church without the power of the Holy Ghost? Well, look around you. There's a lot of churches without the Holy Ghost. So if there's no Holy Ghost, there's no divine word flowing down. All we have is rituals, duties, obligations. We have the church bells. We have the ceremonies. We have the incense. We have the nonsense. Yeah? We have all that. It's called institutionalism. Okay? So, Booth prophesied that. This is the day when the, when the Salvation Army carried God. This is the day before Salvation Army turned into the Social Army. In turning to the Social Army, it lost its message. So now, you see a lot of, uh, a lot of buildings now with a, with a Salvation Army giving, selling things and giving things. And what they do is good. They do help people, no doubt about that. But you've lost your message. So now we have religion without the Holy Ghost. We've got duty, we've got obligation without the Holy Ghost. If there's no Holy Ghost, it's not his church. This morning, we've had spirit-inspired, led worship. Holy Ghost has been able to direct me. I went into my room, Holy Ghost, what are you saying this morning? Paul went into his room, Holy Ghost, what are you saying this morning? The same Holy Ghost said, Psalm 90. We gave them the opportunity. It's this church, Lord. We're following. You're leading. You cannot have this kind of free worship without the Holy Ghost. Because we, 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 when I say we, me and Paul and the rest of the team, we are determined that you will not be entertained by music. I'll say that again, it was so good. We've determined that you will never be entertained by music. One, I ain't good enough. Two, you ain't having it anyway. Why? Holy Ghost. Now, Holy Ghost doesn't play guitar. Paul plays guitar. I play one really bad. He plays one really good. Holy Ghost doesn't play a keyboard, albeit I think this morning he may have. <laughs> Dropped a few notes this morning, I noticed. You've been away for three weeks. I appreciate that. But do we care? No. Why? Because was the Holy Ghost here? You know, whether it's a singer or a guitar. Listen, I drop more notes than a man throwing pound notes away. Right? I drop more notes. Don't worry about that, Ralph. I drop more notes than anything else. And I don't care. Now, some people will say, where is the spirit of excellence? I don't know. It's on Paul. <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the day, we've learned at the end of the day, we are not entertaining a crowd. We are worshipping the Father. Now, that doesn't give us a license to be, to be poor at what we do. You understand that? Let's not take it out of context. But it, let's not put all our effort into music and forget that way. Yes? 
We're not interested in, in releasing, or I should say, emphasizing or exercising the, the diaphragm. We want to try and release your spirit man. You know, if we want a choir, we just get a load of performing penguins who can sing for you and flap. We don't want that. And God doesn't want that. So, William Boo says, religion without the Holy Ghost. And then he said this, Christianity without Christ. This is William Booth. So we've got church without the Holy Ghost. Now we've got Christianity without Christ. Wow. Now what does that mean? What does that look like? Think of this for a minute. What does this church look like? Christianity without Christ. Well, here's a, I'll give you an example. From the 1800s to the 1900s, there was a revelation given to the church. We'll call it holiness. Okay? There's a great emphasis on praying and being holy. Right? And then from the 18 to the 1900s, we'll just say the emphasis could have been on evangelism. Okay? Now, as each generation crosses over, this is what happens. In their crossing over, they don't cross the cross over. Think about this. In their crossing over, the cross does not cross over. Less and less of the cross crosses over. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there is a dilution, diluting, not dilution, diluting, of the cross. And when we dilute the cross, we don't have the life of Christ. We don't have the works of Christ. We don't have the emphasis of Christ. So now we've got church, but we've got less and less of Christ. Because in our crossing over, we didn't take the cross over. Does that make sense? So we've found better ways to do church, to perfect church, but we've got less of the vessels living Christ. So we've learned how to give you respite. It's a great word that this morning, Paul. It's a great word. I like that. I've already, already ooh, that's going into some manuals, that is. Respite, as I always say. <laughs> so we've learned how to give people respite. We've learned how to give people worship from a performance, right? We've learned how to do church, and we emphasize church, 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 church life. You must connect to a church, which is true. You must come to this meeting. You must come to that. You must come to this. You must come to that. But you know what we haven't emphasized? The Christ life. Don't bring people to church. Bring people to Christ. But if you're bringing them en route to bringing them to Christ, you might need to take them to a church. So this is what happens when you've got Christianity without Christ and you've got religion without Holy Ghost. This, this is what happens. Is, is Have you ever wondered why the modern day church has got more and more emphasis on the stage. I'll tell you why. When you've got no Holy Ghost, you have to fill in the blanks. You have to fill in the blanks with more music. Think about it. Most of the modern day churches have very little spirit-inspired worship. But there's a lot of fantastic musicianship going on. And we think because there's a lot of people, we're all enjoying church, we're having a good time, 
but not necessarily a, a God time. So we've got to be very careful. I'm not saying everyone who's got a, a reasonable sized church. I'm not saying everyone. I'm talking about the church. If I said Living Waters Fellowship or Dream Center, and now I'm being specific. But I'm not being specific. I'm being general. I'm saying the church globally. So let those who are doing it right continue doing it right. Let those who are doing it wrong learn from those who are doing it right. It's amazing. I took Armin. Many of you remember Armin, the Iranian lad. And I took him to a church in our, I'll just say, in Lancashire. Took him to a church in Lancashire because I won't name, name the church. And Armin had only been in this church maybe five or six weeks. And I text him to this church that's, that's got all the toys. Got all the good-looking girls. All the perfected voices. Okay? And this lad's only been out of Islam six weeks. And he stands. And we're worshipping in this church. And Armin, he's like, a, he's like the kid in the sweet shop. When he wants your attention, he won't stop talking. He's going, and he calls me Tony John. Tony, is a, Tony John is a, t- is a uh, term of endearment says, my, my friend, my love. In Iran, my love is not a gay thing to say my love, right? Because I would have stopped him a long time ago if it was. And he's like, he's going, Tony John, Tony John, Tony. And I'm worshiping, like, and I can feel like this kid pushing on me, on me pants, daddy, daddy, daddy. And this is what he says to me. After six weeks into the church, out of Islam, he's in a church where there must be a thousand people at that time. And he says to me, where's the Holy Ghost? Six weeks out of Islam, into the church, he's in an environment, and the first thing he recognizes, where's God? Where's God? He's not here. And I can see him panicking. Where is he? I thought you brought me to church. Where is he? And I went, oh, my God. I knew it. I knew it. But I was just, it was a night out for us, that's all. And we took him, and the first thing he sees, and God says, look. Because for years and years, well, not for years, for many months, I was going to this church on a Sunday night with David Platt. We were just spending the time looking around, just because we wanted to get a, a, a litmus test to see what churches were doing what. And David and I and Beatrice at the time and Pat Loftus and a few others would go to this church and we'd have a night out. Just a night out. It's easy for us. You know, when it's not your church, you can just leave it, can't you? And we'd go to this church and we knew that there was these things missing. But before that, when I started going, I thought this was the model. And I kept going back thinking, this is the model, this is the model, this is the model. And then I'd start having dreams in the night. And I'd wake up in the night frustrated. And I didn't know why I was frustrated. And I remember one night, just before, I'm, on, I'm in Malaysia, and I'm in the Hilton Hotel. You're supposed to sleep in the Hilton Hotel. You pay enough for the thing. And I can't sleep. And God begins to start speaking to me. And, and I can hear some of the phrases of the pastor that he's spoken running through my spirit. And I'm frustrated. Jonathan David, the first day, stands up. And starts to begin to speak on all the issues that I've been frustrated with. God says to me this, I didn't take you there to learn the model. I took you there to keep you away from it. So when I bring Armin into this church and he sees it, six weeks in, where's God? I just thought, oh my Lord. This kid saw it a lot earlier than I did. 
That's how you can have church without Christ. That's how you can have religion without or sorry, religion without God, church without uh, Christ. Then he says this, forgiveness without repentance. This is what William Booth said. So we've got religion. Let me go back so I quote it right for you. The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. We've covered that. Christianity without Christ. Then he says forgiveness without true repentance. So Daniel comes up. He's been, he's been uh, sorry he's been caught out. Yeah? He's been doing something and he's, caught, he's been caught out. So we say, okay, we think God's forgiven you. But there's no repentance in his life. There's no turning around. So let's go back to the religious on every Saturday night, people will go up to the religious church and go for mass. What do you get at mass? Confession. What do you get at confession? The promise of forgiveness. Then what happens is they come back the following week or the following month, same again. Right. Repentance, as Phil has already covered in authentic sonship, it's very clear what repentance is. It's turning around and never going back that way again. So what he's saying is in the future, what will happen is the church will now begin to preach and give you forgiveness, but will put no stress or emphasis on discipleship. Because a disciple, will, you'll, you'll train a disciple to turn his life around. But if you just want bums on seats in the modern day church, and let's not ruffle the feathers, we'll give people forgiveness, but we won't teach them and challenge them to stop doing what they're doing. Yes? How many of you know wrong is wrong when everyone's doing it? And right is right when no one's doing it. I'll say that again. Wrong is always wrong even when everyone is doing it. And right is right despite no one doing it. Now repentance is showing people it's wrong despite everyone's doing it. Yes? So righteousness is about doing what's right despite no one doing it. That's Christianity right there. Free of charge. You didn't pay for that when you came in this morning. Then William Booth says this. So we've got forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration. What does that mean is, I offer you forgiveness, and Jesus said that your sins are forgiven today, but there is no rebirth. There's no rebirthing. So you must become born again. So I'll forgive you, and you've got salvation because we've been forgiving you, but you're not born again. Nicodemus did not understand a man must be born again. So in other words, your whole life has to change. Excuse me, I make up in here. Your whole life has to change. Your whole spirit, when... Chris speaks in tongues. The reason why he speaks in tongues, not just because of the Holy Ghost, it's a, de it's a demonstration that this inner spirit man has been reborn. Yes? His spirit man has been reborn. So his reborn means his old nature now is crucified. And now, because he's reborn again, he carries the language of heaven, the voice of heaven, the feelings of heaven, the emphasis of heaven. Why? Because he's been made new inside. He's not following a tradition. He's got a life. And the life's on the inside. Does that make sense? And then, lastly, he says, 
there will be heaven without hell. So what he's saying is, have you noticed how the modern day church stops preaching about hell? Turn or burn. <laughs> that was some of the phrases that used to be used. Now, when I first came into the church, there was a massive emphasis on evangelism. All the church had to be out evangelizing. Why? Because there was a conscience. Right? There was a conscience about reaching the lost. Now, some of the ways we went about it might not have been good. Yeah? Some of the ways we went about it, we've learned. But we've now learned so cleverly that we don't do it. We've learned not how to do it rather than do it. I told you about a couple of months ago, I'm in Drawsden Precinct, and there's a guy doing his thing. And he's doing it badly. So I'm, me, Mr. Proud here, thinking, give me that microphone. Let me have a go. And I'm going to the bank, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. He went, him on his worst day, he's doing more than you on a good day. And I'll tell you, I was convicted right there in the middle of Market Street. And I thought, you know, by all means possible, do something. This guy was doing what he knew, how he knew to do it. So why should I be the one doing nothing, throw a stone at him? I tell you, I was, I was, I was God-smacked. God smacked. God knows how to throw a stone and hit you on the head, doesn't he? He knows how to do it. And I just almost went up to the guy and apologized to him. God said, no, it was my heart you offended, not his. He doesn't even know what you're thinking. I do. Pardon? I can't remember what he was doing, Alvin. Right. Good. And that's the conclusion I had to come to. And do you know what I saw at the end? There was a woman he was praying for. And God says to me, you see, she, he preached, he's praying for her. What are you doing? You're going to the bank. Shut up, go home. And I just thought, and I've learned a lesson from that day. Irrespective of how bad someone's doing it, if you're not doing it, shut up. It's called a hypocrite. And that woman got prayed for. Now what she's been prayed for, I don't, I don't care. The model of the story was not what he was doing. The model of the story, my heart was wrong. Yes? So, so Tony, go home, shut up, think about it, and then you do something. Don't compete with him. Just go and do something. So I learned. Tony, shut up. So heaven without hell. And then one version I read only this week, someone said he actually said there'll be politics without God. And we know that's true. So what I'm saying, I read this to you just to show you that we can see the voice of God has declined in our nation. Can you see this, church? Can we clearly see that the reason why we have um, Christ Christianity, sorry, religion without the Holy Ghost is because the voice of God gets diminished. The reason why we have Christianity without Christ is because people compromise the word. The reason why we have regeneration without, re sorry, we have salvation without regeneration is because we don't emphasize it anymore. And slowly but surely, from generation to generation, we are diminishing the voice of God. We have not taken the cross across. That's powerful. We are not taking the cross across. So when we talk about the generations, it's not about keeping young people in church. 
We don't want people to stay in church. We want people to have a Christ life, to get out there and find their voice in whatever area God has gifted them and graced them. Find the message, find the voice, carry the life. Amen? We don't want people just to come to a nice church. Church is not meant to be nice. Church is meant to be powerful and with nice people. Mm. Colossians 2 verse 8 says this. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See that no one takes you captive. Now, if I just did this, get ready, get ready. Ready to catch? Ready to catch? You in the middle, you ready to catch? Ready? Pick hold of that. Pick up one of them. Now, that is a jigsaw piece. Hold it in your hand. Just hold it. Everyone got a piece? Not everyone doesn't have to have a piece, but it's just an illustration. That's all. None of you understand what that's a picture of. It's just a piece of card in your hand with a weird shape. and You don't know where it fits and you don't know the picture it builds. Is that fair to say? Of course it is. Put this back in my pocket. It's a nuisance. Psalm 139 says this, and this is becoming my mantra inside. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I get another day with you. But how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. I am constantly, well, I say constantly, for the last three weeks, this has been really hitting my spirit more than anything else. And I'm beginning, I feel like the Holy Spirit is taking me through a season where he's emphasizing, Tony, my thoughts are the most, impre- are the most important thing for your life. My thoughts inside of you are the things that I'm asking you to make first priority. My thoughts inside you. So a lot of my prayer has been for the last couple of weeks, Lord, make your thoughts known to me. Make your thoughts, reveal your thoughts to me, oh God. I want to know what you're thinking about. I need to know what you're thinking about so I can proclaim and declare to others or I can make adjustments in my own life because I need to know, and I'm beginning to get a little bit demanding in prayer about me knowing God's thoughts. Now, when God, you know, God can expose you with just one line, can't he? Sometimes when you're praying and you think you're going strong, and then all of a sudden God says one thing, you're thinking, oh, I shouldn't have asked for that. Or you asked for that. And God is beginning to expose, and he's begun, God is beginning to reveal his thoughts, because I'm seriously, seriously, Pushing after knowing his thoughts. Why? Because I want to start this campaign bringing God back. I need to know his thoughts about how to bring him back. 
I've already got some thoughts on it, but it's not enough. Carol and I really want to push into the, the family, hitting the family in society. We're not talking about doing this in church. We're talking about going on the road and doing it. Really want to try and bring that voice back into our nation, bring sensibility, bringing the thoughts of God back in a very unique way that isn't church, but it's so clearly God. And I'm asking God for that wisdom so I don't compromise what God is asking me to do. I don't want to be on the road carrying an earthly philosophy. I want to carry God. I want his voice. Amen? And I think 32 years of marriage gives me some kind of credibility. Amen? So Jesus himself understood the power of the Father's thoughts. Just quickly turn to John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus said this, for I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. This is so important, folks. If you're going to get the thoughts of God, you need to know the one who's speaking and you need to know how to say it. Amen? So I know this command leads to eternal life. So I know the power of God's thoughts when I get them inside my heart. Yeah? So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. See the importance? Jesus understood the power of his thoughts, his Father's thoughts. I am beginning to understand the significance, power, and importance of having God's thoughts in my spirit 24-7. He said, when I wake up the next day, they're there. So at the end of one day, his thoughts come to an end, and then the next day, during the night, he sows another thought into my spirit, so when I wake up, I've got the thought. Now, some days it may be the same thought. Other days it might be something different. It gives me something to pray about during the day. It gives me something to think about, something to open, enlarge my spirit. This is what I need, and this is what I feel God is helping us. Now, listen, it starts off with word. God's thoughts are his word. Yes? So, how many times, let's just say, I say to Dave here right in front of me, I see Dave is looking into space. We, are not, we understand that he's thinking about something. Do we not? And what do we say? Penny for your what? So he's got thoughts in his head. Thoughts are sounds. Thoughts are words. In his head, he can hear his own thoughts. True? Come on. Inside your head, you can hear thoughts. You can hear your own word. Even when you're praying... If you're praying silently, you can hear the voice inside your own head. It's saying, you're very strange. <laughs> so, it starts with word. Next, that word inside of you creates God's thoughts towards you. The moment you think about God's word and you start thinking about it, it then begins, it starts off as word, and as you begin to think about it, it then turns towards you. And then it begins to reveal God's thoughts. That's when, like the other morning, I woke up with a song on my head, in my head. And a song I've not sang for years. So instantly now I said, why the heck is this song in my head? I wouldn't sing this song naturally. So why is this song in my head, Holy Spirit? Show me. I never got the answer. But it's enough. It's on my radar. It's got my attention now. So I can chase after it in the day. I can go for it. So now I'm conscious that I think God's just given, I'm just sending a test signal to you to see if you're receiving down there on earth. Mission, I should say, message received. 
So, okay, now he's got my attention. So I wake up in the morning. I get his thoughts. I go, Father, that's your thought towards me. What are you saying? Yes? How precious are your thoughts towards me? So I've got to understand how his thoughts come towards me. So when, when the word inside me, I'm conscious that it's a God thought towards my life, the voice when understood, that voice then, when I begin to understand that God's voice, it either does one of three things. Are you ready for this? It either gives you encouragement. It either gives you correction. Or it gives you instruction. When God's thoughts come to you in that day, he's coming to you. Those thoughts come to you in one of three areas. He either gives you encouragement, so he encourages your heart through his thoughts. He either gives you correction, oh Lord, correct me, Lord, I'm convicted, Lord, I feel convicted, and you can go into repentance. Or it can give you instruction. Go and do this. Go and say that. So encouragement, correction, or instruction. That's why we need the thoughts of God to our life every day. How precious are your thoughts to me? The psalmist realized the good things to have. And lastly, the correction and the instruction then requires your obedience. It requires your obedience. So I'm beginning to realize every day, oh God, your thoughts are precious towards me. So, okay, Lord, what's your thoughts saying to me? Are you encouraging me? Are you correcting me? Are you instructing me? This is how I understand the will of God for my life through his thoughts, through his word, and through his thoughts. That's why when you read the word, think about what you've just read. Yeah? This is so important that we understand these things. So how many of you know that you've got the thoughts of God inside of your head? Now you think because they're inside your head, it might not be God, but they're inside your head. 1 John 2.20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So if you know the truth, you've got his voice. Do not write, so that I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So if you know Jesus as your saviour, you've got the truth inside of you. It's easy. Right, let's start with that. If I know Christ is inside of me, then I'm capable of receiving his thoughts. If the only time you you hear God's thoughts towards you is on a Sunday morning, my friend, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You must have the thoughts of God towards you on a daily basis. And then Deuteronomy, I love this scripture. It says this, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not even beyond your reach. It's not even up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to you so that we may obey it. No, 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 no. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Jonah, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. No, 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 no. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. The message version, I love what the message says. This commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't so much for you. It's not out of of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb and peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. 
And, and it's not across the ocean. You don't have to send a sailor out to get it, bring it back, and then explain it before you can live it. No, the word is right here and now, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest. Just do it. There's the Nike for you. Just do it. The word is inside of you. Stop looking for it as if it's not there. You have to just open your Bible, start reading it, start thinking about what you're reading, and you're only one, listen to this, you're only one thought away from heaven. One thought brings you straight in to heaven. One thought. One thought, that's all you need. Close your eyes. I can go, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. Why? The moment my thoughts go towards him, he comes towards me. Thinking God's thoughts, listen, thinking God's thoughts is not just about you trying to bring him to where you are. Thinking God's thoughts is him bringing you to where he is. Yes? There are times when you think and you bring him close to you. But it's time he allows you to think so that you can be brought to him. That's why we need the thoughts of God. Very often you're saying, God, come to me, come to me, come to me. He says, no, 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 you come to me. No, 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 you come to me. No, no, you come to me. The word I'm giving you today is to bring you to me. But we're constantly living this need. Well, God, I need you where I am. God says, no, <laughs> believe me, if you're where I was, you'll see it differently. Ah, yeah, 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 I never saw that. Yeah, no, you didn't. But if you think about these things, God will show you. God will show you. So, He gave you the, the jigsaw. Why have I given you the jigsaw? You think, thank God he's got to it. 1 Corinthians 2, 16, for who, know, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That jigsaw represents the mind of Christ. We all have been given the mind of Christ so we can know the thoughts of the Father. Can you imagine? Jesus scattered himself abroad. So each one of us have the downware, downloaded software of the mind of Christ. Every one of us has been given the mind of Christ. That piece of jigsaw there is God giving a piece of himself to you. In fact, he didn't give you a piece. He gave you the fullness. Right? Now that piece on its own looks incomplete. But when we all gather together and synergize... When husband synergizes with his wife, when the children synergize with mum and dad, when pastor can synergize with the congregation, we begin to understand the, pre the, the benefits of the thoughts of God towards us. This morning, Paul brought his peace. I brought my peace. The musicians brought their peace. The doorkeepers brought their peace. Right? So when you bring your peace, we, by the time we have left this house this morning, we know the thoughts of God towards us. True? We all know. Now, your individual peace has got all the, coded, all the code you need so that you can know the mind of God on your own. But here's the wonderful thing. As I begin to access this coding, God begins to show me his thoughts towards other people. 
so I can begin to pray for other people in the spirit because I know God's thoughts towards them. This week I've done a lot of praying, more than I normally do. And I've been praying for people, just people. Lord, help them. And, and, I, and I've noticed that there's, there's an intellect coming in my prayer. Have you ever struggled for words when you're praying? Of course you have. And you don't know how to say it, and you just think it mumbled and pumbled. But I'm finding this clarity is coming in my prayer language. And I'm thinking, hey, I sound intelligent. Whoa. Sound really good. I'm impressed with some of the prayers I'm praying. And I'm thinking, this ain't me. This is not me. Normally, I struggle what to say and how to say it and mumble and fumble. And then you just think, oh, second, Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you. That, can't, that overrides everything. When you know what to say, you just go, oh, I love you, Lord. Do a Stevie Wonder impression. I love you, Lord. But, you know, I find language has been coming into my spirit to pray for people. Why? Because these are the thoughts that God wants me to have towards his people. So the more you keep focusing on the power of the thoughts, God's thoughts towards you, he'll show you his thoughts towards others. And all of a sudden now, because we've all got the mind of Christ. Can you see that? So if I asked, who's got a jigsaw piece? You've got two pieces. Now bring your pieces over here. Put them in my hand. Say, let's just say I'm Christ. And Dave and Lisa, as a man and woman, as a married couple, they bring their pieces together, but they put them in my hand. And let's just say for a minute, I'm Jesus. How precious is that? When two people synergize and put their pieces in Christ's hands. How much more can God do? If two people will agree on the earth about me, there I am in their midst. So if I'm there in their midst, they've got my thoughts where they are. All because they got their peace. Now, it's like the modern day pen drive that you have. It's a small piece of apparatus, but you can get a terabyte. You, I mean, I bought one yesterday, 64 gig. Some of you don't even know what 64 gig is, right? It's more than my library upstairs. I can carry it around on just one little chip, Yeah? Why? So I can carry all the thoughts in my library all around on one little chip. Now, can you imagine, the Bible says, if I was to think about all your thoughts, they are too many for me. So there isn't a chip that can store them, but there is. It's called the mind of Christ. God has given you his chip so that you can understand the mind of his own son. And the Holy Spirit comes to reveal the thoughts of the Son, but to reveal the thoughts of the Father. So you get that. Here's the interesting thing. If Daniel talks to mom, mom, describe me dad. Describe what my dad's like. So Lisa, because she's been married to Dave, she can describe everything about Daniel's dad. Can't she? So the next day he says, describe me mom. So he begins to describe everything about his mom. Okay? But how do they do that? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this scenario can tell you everything about the father's thoughts towards his son and the son's thoughts towards his father. So you've got the whole thing there on one chip. How awesome is that? Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. We have the thoughts of God towards us every day. Why? So we can find his voice. God wants you to find your voice. Your voice is his voice. His voice comes to you via his thoughts, via his word. So David says, how precious 
to me are your thoughts. Because if I don't know your thoughts, I don't know your word and your will. I cannot find who I am. It's your thoughts towards me that helps me understand who I am. And why I'm on planet earth. See, that child that's inside grace, that child has not had the opportunity yet to hear me speak. What a privilege. (laughs) It's listening now. But guess what? If they are smart, they would be speaking the word over that child. So that child has already been hearing the word of God. So when it comes out the mother's womb, speak it over them again. When that, as soon as that baby's born, when you can get over your tears, just say, you are highly loved, you are highly favored. You're in this world because God wants you. You have destiny. Speak it over your own child the moment the baby's born. And then say, how are you doing, darling? <laughs> Both speak over the child immediately. Don't just pray silently. Speak over the child. Let heaven and earth know today a game change has been born. Yes, this is how we do it. Because the thoughts of the father to Tom and to to her grace have got to be the same thoughts towards that child, towards Eric. (laughs) That's the code name for the baby at the moment. Until he's born, I call it Derek. They call it Lamb. I I call it Derek. So code name Derek means there's a baby. So Father, right now, let's lift our hands and say, I'm not going to run from Nineveh. I'm not going to run away from Manchester. Your servant is not going to be found running away. I'm going to be running towards Manchester. I'm going to find my voice. I want the thoughts of God towards me being revealed on a day-to-day basis. Lord, if David could say, or I don't know who said it, Moses or David, one of them in the Psalms said it, If your thoughts are precious to me, then therefore he had an understanding that you and I need. He saw something about these thoughts that you and I need. So, Father, today release it. Thank you for the new measure of wisdom that you've given us today. You've downloaded it to us, Father. As from today, oh God, I'm going to consciously pursue your thoughts. So, oh God, reveal your thoughts towards us this week. Reveal them right now to the young children. To the seniors, oh God, reveal your thoughts towards us, oh God. Oh, Father, how precious they are. I know I couldn't literally, physically gather all the thoughts up, but oh God, you make them known to me as and when I need them. I thank you, oh God, that I am born again. I thank you, oh God, that I do not have religion without Christ. I thank you, oh God, that I've got the Holy Ghost. I thank you that I've got repentance. I thank you that I've got regeneration. I thank you, O God, that Father, as we crossed over, Lord, we are taking the cross over. We're taking the cross across. We will not leave Christ to another generation. We will make him known in our generation. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. Be with us strong this week, O God. Be in our conscience Make us alive. And the people of God said, come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation.